Welcome to Grace Church, Medina East Campus. We are so glad you're here this morning. My name is Sarah Beth Clark. I lead our children's ministry, and we call that Power Kids. And in Power Kids, it's really our desire to partner with families, to partner with you in sharing the truth about Jesus to the next generation. So families, thank you. Thank you for allowing us to partner with you. We love hanging out with your kids. Um, We get to do that, and so we're really excited about that. So thank you for bringing your kids here, and together we get to share Jesus with them. As you all came in this morning, you received a program, and inside of your program is a Connect card. On that card, you can ask a question, leave a comment, you can sign up for upcoming classes, you could ask for some more information on our ministries, and you could also share a prayer request, and we count it an honor to be able to partner with you in prayer. We read through each of those cards, and we want to connect with you guys that way. So take a minute, fill out that card. If you're a first-time guest with us this morning, I'd like to encourage you before you leave today to stop by our Welcome Center. We would love to meet you, and we have a gift for you to say thanks for being here, and thanks for checking out Christ Church. At this time, I'd like to invite Pastor Tony up for a special announcement. Well, happy uh, Super Bowl Sunday, everybody. And uh, like Sarah Beth had mentioned just a moment ago, if you're a guest with us today, we definitely want to just extend a very special welcome to you. Uh, But I do just want to give a really kind of special announcement for those who call the Medina East Campus home. And so if you're part of the family here at the Medina East Campus, I want to just draw your attention to one specific announcement Uh, in those programs that you got when you walked in. If you open that up, at the very top, you will see a banner advertisement for something that is called the Reveal Study. And I just wanted to let you know that is and, uh, and ask you if you'd do me just a massive favor uh, by participating in this Reveal study. So Reveal is actually a uh, tried and tested and proven uh, study uh, survey that has uh, been used for over a decade, churches all throughout the world. And so it actually originated out of a church in Chicago called Willow Creek. And, uh, and this, this survey is actually designed uh, to really kind of help identify what strength and growth areas might exist inside of a church. And so if you're part of the Medina East Campus family, uh, by participating in this reveal survey, by taking this survey, uh, you would actually be doing our church a massive favor uh, because it would allow us to really kind of get an accurate read of how we're doing. It'll give us an accurate read of uh, the areas that we're strong in, the areas that we need to grow in. It'll also help us know how to grow spiritually together. And so this is just a great way that we as a family can kind of work together on, uh, on helping to kind of strengthen and to, to kind of look at and assess uh, our church structure. So here at uh, Grace Church, you might know we actually have several campuses in the greater Akron area, and all of our campuses are participating in this. And so I would strongly, strongly encourage you, if you just do me a huge favor and, and uh, engage in this, that would be uh, tremendously helpful. Uh, this survey will take 15 minutes of your time. It's not a massive time commitment. Uh, we know that your time is valuable, so it's a very quick survey, uh, but you'll just want to go to the website that is, uh, that is indicated in your programs there sometime in the next couple of weeks. Uh, this survey is going to be live on our website just for a, a short window of time. Uh, But if you could engage in that, the greater percentage of the Medina East Campus family we have participated in this, the more accurate we'll get a read of kind of how things are going and uh, and sort of the ways that we can uh, sort of work together as we continue to look forward in 2017 of, uh, of, our, of our campus here together. So I just wanted to let you know what the Reveal study is, uh, let you know the significance, why we're doing it, and, uh, and just kind of let you know where you, can, um, where you can go ahead and complete that. So if you would do that, like I said, it'd be a tremendous help. So thank you in advance uh, just uh, to those of you who are part of the family here for working together at, uh, at continuing to make our church better. So we, uh, we love that, we appreciate it, and I just want to say again, thank you in advance for participating in that. So that's the Reveal study. Just want to let you know about that. So. Thanks, Pastor Tony. Yeah, like he said, 15 minutes. We'd really appreciate that. Um, I took it. It really is 15 minutes. We really want to hear from you guys. 
Um, we'd appreciate you taking that time over the next couple of weeks to check that out. The other thing in your program that I would like to highlight for you is something called Awaken. So Awaken is our once a month young adult gathering. So our new perspective is the 18 to 28 crowd. So if you or someone you know is in that 18 to 28 crowd, we'd love for you guys to come out to Awaken. Come check that out. It's a great opportunity once a month just to get together, hang out together, learn together, make some new connections. This Thursday, they're actually kicking off a new three-part series called Overcome. And so over that three-part series, they're going to be investigating some things of like, how do we overcome things like jealousy, bitterness, and guilt? So you guys don't want to miss that. If you're in that crowd or know someone that is, invite them out to Awaken. You can check out your program for all the other latest happenings here at the Medina East Campus. If you have any questions, please stop by our Welcome Center or use that Connect card. Again, it's great to have you all here, and we love you guys. Father Imon, O Entis Uranis, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Again, hey, welcome out to our fifth week in a series that we've been doing together that we've been calling Teach Us to Pray. And uh, let me just say again, if, if you're a guest with us today, if it's your first time here and you walked in and for some reason you weren't greeted today, uh, let me just extend a very special greeting to you. We're so glad that you're able to be with us as we kind of continue in this conversation uh, about prayer together. If you are just jumping in and you missed the past several weeks, let me kind of loop you in as to what it is that we've been talking about here in this series. Uh, so, so put very simply, what we've been doing in this series is we have actually been looking line by line at what we said is probably the most famous prayer in the entire Bible. Uh, That is, of course, the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father, what you just heard on this video a moment ago. And what we've been doing in this series is we've been saying we want to go line by line through this prayer really to really kind of understand how to pray, to learn how to pray. Because here's what we've been saying. We've been saying that this prayer that Jesus gave, the Our Father or the Lord's Prayer, is actually a prayer that Jesus gave to his disciples to instruct them how to pray. And so we said, this is not just a prayer that Jesus prayed. This is a prayer that Jesus gave to teach us how to pray. And so our hope has been through this series that as we kind of look at this prayer, as we kind of deconstruct it line by line, and we look at these familiar words, that maybe we can kind of get fresh insights into what prayer is all about. That maybe through this, that Jesus could teach us how to pray. And again, we, we think this conversation is so important because if you're, if you're anything like me, uh, my guess is that prayer for you is maybe one of those things that's really ambiguous, it's kind of confusing, it's something that you don't fully understand, and maybe it's something that you're like, man, I wish I, I, wish I, could, I, wish I was better at this, I wish I could learn more about this. And, and so we, we've been saying, man, this is a great way for us to do that, uh, because here in this passage that we've been looking at, in the Lord's Prayer, this is Jesus teaching and instructing us how to pray. And so that's kind of been our prayer in this series, is that God might continue to teach us how to pray as we look at this incredible prayer that Jesus gave us. And so like I said, we've been looking line by line at this prayer. So a few weeks ago, for example, we actually spent the entire weekend, just the, the whole sermon, talking about the first line of that prayer, our Father in heaven. 
And so we, we had a whole conversation about that. We said, well, why is that the starting place of prayer? Uh, when Jesus is teaching about prayer, why do we begin there? What does it mean to, to call God Father? And what does it mean that he's our Father in heaven? And so we talked about that. Uh, the week after that, we, we just took the whole week. We talked about the next line of that prayer, uh, hallowed be your name. And we said, what does that mean? What does the word hallowed even mean? And how do you hallow a name? And, uh, and what kind of lies behind that? So we talked about that. Last week, if you were here, we talked about the next line of the prayer. And so we looked at your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we said, when Jesus instructs us to pray, what does that mean when we pray? Many of us have prayed those words many times, but maybe we've never actually given consideration to what they truly mean. And so we kind of unpacked that last week. And by the way, I just encourage you, if, uh, if you missed any of the previous conversations and you'd like to catch up on those, uh, you can do that on our podcast. You can do that on our website. All of that is for free. And we'd encourage you to do that. But, uh, but today, as we continue to progress through this series, what we want to do is we want to look at, at, together at the next line of this prayer. And so here's what we're going to be looking at today. We're going to be looking at give us today our daily bread. All right? So we're going to be spending our entire time today just really trying to unpack what lies behind that phrase. And when Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, when Jesus teaches us to pray for those of us who follow Jesus, he says, listen, here's the way I want you to pray. Give us today our daily bread. So what's behind that? That's what we're going to look at uh, with our time today. So I want to encourage you, if you've got your Bibles, why don't you go ahead and grab them with me, and let's turn to Matthew chapter 6 as we kind of launch things off this morning. So Matthew chapter 6 is where we're going to be going back to the Lord's Prayer. We've been looking at this passage for the past few weeks, and so we're going to return there again today. Matthew chapter 6, go ahead and get there. And uh, if you did not bring a Bible with you here this morning, that's not a problem at all. Uh, We actually have some Bibles that are available for you underneath those chairs. You should be able to find those, and you can grab those black Bibles that are there. You can turn to page 678. Uh, That is where you're going to find Matthew chapter 6, all right? And of course, let me just also say that if you don't own a Bible and you would like one, we think it's really important that you have one. And so you could just take one of ours, all right? You can make that a gift. Uh, we, would, we really want you to have a copy of God's Word if you don't have one. So you can have one of ours. So Matthew chapter 6, go ahead and get there, page 678. And as you guys are turning there and as you're finding that, and hopefully that's in front of you, why don't we take a moment, as we've been doing the past uh, few weeks, and let's just talk to God uh, before we get a chance to jump in this. Ask Him to help us in our conversation today that we might learn what, what lies behind these words, give us today our daily bread. So let's pray together. Well, Father, I just want to say thank you for um, the incredible privilege it is for us to gather in this room and to be able to have the next several minutes together to to look at, 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 to look at your word and to learn from you and to press our minds and press our hearts and press our attention on the things that you would have us to learn. And, uh, and so uh, today, God, I ask you that as we are, as we're in this room, that you would uh, meet us here. We want to have a fresh encounter with you. And Jesus, we really do want to understand what what it means to pray, give us today our daily bread. Uh, Jesus, I am convinced that when you you originally taught these words to your disciples, that you meant something specific by them. And so I ask you that today you would reveal that to us. Show us what you mean. Help us to understand this, God. And I pray that this would not only just change the way that we pray, I ask you that it would change the way that we live as a result of it. And so, God, we come, we come here with eager expectation that you're going to meet us here. Uh, we anticipate that. We desire that. We want that. And so we pray, Jesus, that you would teach us. Teach us how to pray uh, the way that you would want us to. And uh, we just want to ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you're a uh, Cleveland sports fan to any degree, uh, my guess is that you are probably very familiar with the fact that there are several key moments 
There are several historical plays. There are, are several clutch moments in Cleveland sport history, for good or for bad, uh, that have become so memorable uh, that they have simply been referred to with a very simple title, right? So if you're a sports fan, a Cleveland sports fan at all, and I say, for example, if I say the fumble, or if I say the drive, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And, and I can see some of you nodding even right now. If you're not a sports fan, you probably don't know what I'm talking about. But if you, if you are a sports fan, when I say the fumble and I say the drive, you know that I am referring to the 1986 and 1987 Cleveland Browns uh, when they went to the AFC Championship Games versus the Denver Broncos. And in both of those games, there was these key moments, there were these clutch plays that, uh, on the part of the Denver Broncos that cost the Browns the AFC Championship. And some of you might even remember watching those games back in the 80s. I actually remember as a kid sitting on the couch watching those games with my dad, and I don't think I've ever seen him so angry in my entire life than watching that. But, but if you're a Cleveland sports fan, I say, the cl- I say the drive, I say the fumble, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Or if you're a Cleveland sports fan and I say the shot, chances are good you know what I'm talking about. The original shot, 1989, Cleveland Cavaliers versus the Bulls in the playoffs at the very last moment in game five in that series. You guys might remember Michael Jordan made that incredible shot at the buzzer that cost the Cavs the playoffs. And to this day, it's been called the shot. If you Google the shot, that is the, 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 the picture that will come up. There's pictures and images and you get a chance to kind of see that. So if you're a sports fan, you know those things. If I say the shot or the fumble or the drive, and most of those are bad things in Cleveland sports history. However, there's also good things. So for example, if I say the block, or if I say the block, the shot, the, the shot and the stop, uh, you guys know what I'm talking about is last year, the 2016 NBA champions in game seven in the championship when the Cavs, those last two minutes, just incredible last two minutes of that game when they took the championship, which that last two minutes, some of you may or may not have watched literally hundreds of times since last year, right? But when I say those things to Cleveland sports fan, when I say the block, or when I say the drive, or when I say the shot, you know what I'm talking about. Now, if you're not a sports fan, those things don't really make as much sense to you, right? There's not, there's not as much meaning behind those things. But to a sports fan, when I say the block, there's a whole story. There's a whole event that surrounds just that simple phrase. Now, why do I tell you that? Well, here's why I tell you that. Because when you look at Matthew chapter 6, I want you to notice uh, something that Jesus says in the key part that we're going to be focusing on today. So glance down with me at Matthew chapter 6 again. and Check, check out verse 9. Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray, and he says this. He says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then Jesus says in verse 11, and this is our focus today, give us today our daily bread. And I just want you to zoom in for a minute on that little phrase that Jesus says here. He says, give us today our daily bread. Now, why is that significant? Here's why. Because when Jesus said daily bread to the audience that he was teaching, that would have been like saying the block to a Cleveland sports fan, right? That, that, that little term, daily bread, as simple as it is, meant something incredibly significant to the audience that Jesus was teaching. See, because here's something you gotta understand about the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer was taught in a very, very specific circumstance, right? There's a context in which Jesus is teaching this. And the context is, it's in one of the most popular sermons that Jesus gave called the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is teaching in a place called Galilee. And he's teaching to a large group of people who at at that time were prominently Jewish. So he's teaching a Jewish audience. And so when Jesus says to a Jewish audience in first century AD in this time, when he looks at them and he says, listen, give us today our daily bread, 
That would have registered in a really unique way in the Jewish mind. And what it would have done is it would have drawn them back to a very, very specific event in Jewish history, in the history of the Israelite people. That would be like saying the block or the shot or the drive to a Cleveland sports fan. By saying daily bread, it brought them back to a very specific event. Now, now here's the question then. What was the event that Jesus was drawing their attention to? Well, some of you might know this. In Israel's history, there was a specific time when God literally provided for his people daily bread. There was a time in Israel's history where God miraculously provided for his people every day bread from heaven. God would give his people. Some of you might be familiar with this story. It's the story of the manna in the wilderness. And if you're not familiar with this story, let me just kind of summarize it for you a little bit. Uh, the Bible says that the, Israel, the Israelites, the, the Israel people, the Jewish people, which were God's chosen people, uh, the Bible says that they were in Egyptian captivity. And so while they were in Egyptian captivity, they cried out to God. They said, God, deliver us from slavery. And the Bible says that God did that. God miraculously delivered uh, the Israelites out of Egyptian captivity. And then the Bible says before God brought his people into the promised land, that they spent 40 years meandering in the desert, wandering in the wilderness. And the Bible tells us the reason that God allowed that to happen was because he wanted to teach his people to, to depend on him. He wanted to test them, and he wanted to allow them to have a season in which they had to depend on him in a very, very strong way. And so the Bible tells us that part of the way that God provided for his people when they were meandering in the wilderness was that he gave them bread from heaven. He gave them daily bread. In fact, let me just show you a quick snippet of that account in Exodus chapter 16. In the book of Exodus chapter 16, the Bible tells us about this. Here's what it says. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and they're to gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and I will see whether they follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they're to prepare what they bring in and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other day. So here's what God says. God says, I'm gonna provide for you in a very special and unique way. And he says, I'm going to rain down bread from heaven every day. It's going to be daily bread. And the Bible says God did this. The Israelites would wake up in the wilderness and there'd be this dew-like substance that would turn into flakes. And the Bible said that it was like this special kind of bread. It was really flaky in its texture and it tasted sweet like honey. That's what the Bible said. I kind of think like maybe like frosted flakes or something, right? And so God provided this and it was, and the Israelites called it manna, which manna literally meant, what is it? They didn't know what to call it. They're like, what is it? They're like, that's what we'll call it. We'll call it, what is it? And they would eat this stuff every day and God provided enough for them every single day. And so listen, when Jesus is talking to a Jewish audience and he says, when you pray, I want you to pray, give us today our daily bread, they would have immediately remembered what he was talking about. They are talking about the manna in the wilderness where God provided for his people daily bread. Now that begs a real good question then, and that's this. If that's what Jesus is referring to in this prayer, which most certainly is what he's referring to, then what is the lesson what is the heart, what is it that Jesus wants us to understand when we're praying this? Right? What's behind this prayer? What are we actually asking God for? What are we actually praying when we're praying, give us today our daily bread? Now, here's what I, I, here's what I want to kind of take us today. I believe that when we are praying this prayer, according to the Bible and according to what happened in the Old Testament, I think here's, here in a nutshell, I believe here's the heart of what we're asking for. Right? Let, me just, let me just give you the whole statement and then I want to spend the rest of our time kind of deconstructing that. So here's what I think we're asking. The heart is that we are looking to God to provide what we need, to refuse what we don't, 
and to determine the difference. Okay, so let me just say that again. Here's what I believe that we're, I believe the heart of praying, give us today our daily bread, is that we are looking to God to give us what we need, to deny us what we don't need, and we're looking to God to determine the difference between those two things. I think that's what we're doing. Now you're like, what, what exact, where are you getting that from? Well, let me, let me kind of show you where I'm getting that from. Let's just take this, this little statement and let's just break it down. So let's just look at the first part together. I think one of the things that we're asking for when we say, God, give us our daily bread is we are looking to God to provide what we need. We're looking to God to provide what we need. As I just mentioned a, a moment ago, when Jesus says, give us our daily bread, this would, have, uh, this would have caused the Jewish people to recall the event that took place in the Old Testament where God gave manna from heaven, where God gave his people their daily bread. And I think that when Jesus does this, what he's trying to do is he's trying to cause his audience to remember the point of manna, the point of that situation that happened in the Old Testament. The Bible actually tells us that there was a very deliberate reason that God provide daily bread, that God provided manna from heaven to his people. Let me just show it to you. It's in Deuteronomy chapter eight. In Deuteronomy chapter eight, Moses writes and he says this. He says, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness for these 40 years, look at this, to humble and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commandments. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you, here's the key, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So the Bible says the whole reason that that daily bread situation happened where God provided manna from heaven was because God was going after something. God wanted to test his people. God wanted to see what was in their hearts. And God wanted to teach his people that man does not live on bread alone. That we as humans don't simply live on bread alone, but we live on every word that comes from the Lord. And so in other words, what was it that God was trying to teach his people? Here's what he was trying to teach them. He was trying to teach them dependence. He was trying to teach them that God is the one who they should look to to provide for them. God is the source of provision for all of their needs. And so this was the test that God, he says, are you going to trust me? Are you going to trust me? Or are you going to look to temporary uh, temporary things to satisfy your temporary appetites, or are you going to look to me as the one who actually provides for those needs that you have? And so the Bible says this was the test that God gave his people. And by the way, the Bible says that God's people failed over and over and over again. And so, for example, in Exodus chapter 16, the Bible says that God looked at his people and he said, Listen, here's what I want you to do I'm going to provide manna from heaven, miraculous bread. It's going to be amazing. And then God commanded his people. He said, Every day, I want you to go out and I want you to gather just enough for one day. Don't take any more than that. Don't try to stockpile it. Don't try to hoard it. Don't try to take enough for tomorrow or for next week. Just take enough for today. But you know what the Bible says God's people did? They tried to stockpile it. And they would go out and they would try to gather more than just one day's worth of bread. They'd try to gather several days worth of it. And God was upset with them. God said, well, that's not what I said. I said, just get what you need for today. Would you just, in other words, he said, would you just trust me? Would you just trust? You're so concerned about making sure you have enough bread that you're going around what I said. Man doesn't live on bread alone, but he lives on my words. So, so obey my words and I'm gonna take care of your needs. That's what God says. Uh, in Exodus chapter 16, God told his people, he said, listen, for six days, I want you to gather bread every day, enough for the day. He said, but on the seventh day, it's a Sabbath. I want you to take a day off. 
Be with your family. I'm gonna provide enough food for you on the sixth day that you'll have enough for the seventh. So just trust me. But you know what the Bible said? The Bible says that God's people didn't listen to him and they went out on the seventh day and they tried to work on the Sabbath and God was upset with them. And God basically said, why didn't, listen, why won't you just do what I said? Do you, do you trust me? Do you trust that I'm not gonna provide for you? And so the Bible says this whole thing was a big test. It was a test in which God was trying to train his people to depend on God. God says, if you would just work the way I'm asking you to work and if you would rest the way I ask you to rest, you don't have to worry about your needs. I'm gonna provide for your needs. If you would make it your primary concern just to obey me and to listen to me and please me and honor me, then you don't have to worry about fulfilling your needs, your physical needs, your emotional needs, your, 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 you know, your relation. You don't have to worry about it. I'm gonna take care of all of your needs if you would just concern yourself with obeying me and loving me. And, and that's what he was commanding his people to do. You see, he basically, what God was so upset with with his people was their short-sightedness. He said, you, you think that your needs are satisfied by bread. He said, but I'm, I'm, I'm condemning your short-sightedness because I'm the one who provides that bread for you. So trust me over your temporary resources. By the way, I think this is exactly what Jesus meant. He's, I think when he was teaching on worry, actually right here in Matthew chapter six, a little bit later, if you just glance down a few verses, in verse 31 in, in Matthew chapter six, Jesus goes on teaching something real similar it gets on the topic of worry and anxiety. And here's what he says. He says, so don't worry, saying what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For the pagans run after these things. You see, but your heavenly father already knows that you need them. Then he says this, but listen, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. If you were with us last week, you might remember we said that, that, that the kingdom, living as a person of the kingdom of God, means living as a person under the authority of God. It's subscribing to God's way of life. And so Jesus says, if you would seek first the kingdom, that is, if you would seek first to please me, if you would seek first to live as a person who subscribes to my way of life, if you would live according to my word, he says, then, then listen, seek first my kingdom as righteousness and all these things will be given to you. You don't have to worry about your needs. If you make it your primary concern to, to follow me and to honor me, I'm gonna take care of everything for you. I will be the source of provision, if you would trust me. And he says, therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will have enough worry about itself. You see, what, you see what he's saying here? God is saying that the heart behind praying, give us today our daily bread, is saying, God, we recognize you as the one who provides our need. Not, not, not just my job, not just my bank account, not just my boyfriend or my girlfriend or whatever relationship it is that I have. I'm not, I'm not looking to those things to be the ultimate satisfier of my needs. I'm looking to God as the one who provides these things for me. I don't wanna be short-sighted. I wanna to look to God and I wanna to look to him as the one who takes care of me, the one who provides my needs. It's interesting, when I was reading this this past week, I was reminded of, um, some of you guys might know if you've been here for a while, that I really enjoy riding motorcycles. Uh, I've probably been riding motorcycles since I was about 20 years old. That's when I got my first bike. And, um, and I remember, and even though I've been riding since I was about 20, it wasn't until last year uh, that I actually took a motorcycle safety course. It's a little bit backwards. I should have taken it first. But I, I remember I had some friends say, this is a really excellent course. And, uh, you know, if you want to learn to be a better rider, this is actually, like, you know, highly recommended. And I was like, oh, it just sounds fun. So I went to this advanced rider motorcycle safety course. And I just got, it was a blast. I had an absolute blast doing this. But one of the things they do is they set up a bunch of obstacle courses. And so they have cones that they have set up. And you need to weave through the cones in a really particular way. And they have these sharp curves they set up that you have to kind of learn how to maneuver and take those things. And I thought it was so cool. The instructors at one point, 
they, they, were, they were talking about something they call the principle of primary focus. And I remember when they were talking about this, I actually was thinking of this passage. I was like, wow, that's just like Matthew chapter six when Jesus says what he just said. And basically, here's what they say. They said, they said one of the biggest mistakes new writers make is that they don't understand the principle of primary focus. They don't understand where they should focus their attention and where they should focus uh, their, their gaze. They don't understand that. And so, for example, they said, let's say you're, you're going through an obstacle, right? And so you're, you're trying to weave through cones or something. They said the big mistake that beginners make, and, and it's, it's so natural, it's the, it's the most natural thing to do, but it's a big mistake, is that you focus on the obstacle itself. So a new rider will approach the cones, and they will look at the cones, and inevitably, what's going to happen is you're going to hit the cone, you're going to swing too wide, or you're going to drop the bike. One of those things is going to happen because you're going to try to overcompensate. And they said that's a big-time error. If you're going to go through a curve or if you're going to go around, you don't look at the obstacle in front of you. They said what you need to learn to do, and it's actually kind of unnatural to do this. It feels unnatural, at least at first, is they said you don't want to look at the obstacle. You want to look through the obstacle, and you want to look to where you're going. So if you're going through a curve, you don't want to look at the curve. You want to look at the end of the curve. And they said, because where you look is where you go when you're on your bike. And the craziest thing happens when you get this down, and, and it's kind of hard to do at first, when you set your gaze in the right place, the obstacles that are in front of you somehow just take care of themselves. And you just get around them, and it's like it just kind of happens. And when, when I remember when my motorcycle instructor was telling me that. I just thought of Matthew 6, this passage we just looked at. I think, I think this is what Jesus is talking about. When he says, look, seek first the kingdom of God. If you would just set your gaze on obeying God and loving God, if you would set your gaze on just living as a person under the word of God, then everything else that you're so concerned about, that you're so overwhelmed with, that you're so anxious about, God is going to take care of that for you. That is a promise that God has made to those of us who follow him. And you guys, I can't tell you how, how desperately I wish for some of us, we just get a hold of this. We just get a hold of this. Because because here's the truth. For some of us in this room today, we are so full of anxiety. We are so full of worry. And man, we are constantly concerned about whether or not our needs are going to be met. For some of us, we are so worried about our financial situation. We're so worried about our financial needs. We're so worried about our relational needs. We're so worried about our emotional needs being met. And we're so concerned about that, that that we can't rest. And so we lay in bed at night and we stare at the ceiling and we keep thinking and we're anxious and we can't work the way God wants us to work and we can't rest the way that God wants us to rest because we're constantly in a state of panic and anxiety and worry because we're not sure things are going to work out. I'm just telling you, your heavenly father doesn't want that for you. There's peace that's available to you. God says, if you would just, if you would just trust me, and you just make it your ambition to look to me as I will take care of you. I will take care of you. I will make sure all of your needs are supplied for you. And so God looks at us and he says, there is rest that is available. For some of you, that is good news to you today. You need to breathe that in this morning. That man, if you can just trust God and you make it your ambition to live for him and you make it your ambition to please him and to seek first his kingdom, he is going to take care of you. He's gonna take care of you. He said he would. And so when we pray... Father in heaven, give us today our daily bread. The very heart of that is that we're looking to God as the provider of our needs. We're looking to him to be the one that satisfies, provides for us in every area of our life. But that's not all we're asking for because there's more here. And this, this might be the more challenging part 
of this. Because yes, we're, we're looking to God to give us our needs, but I want you to notice the second part of our statement. So, so check this out. Second part is we're looking to God to provide what we need. And here's the second one. And at the same time, we're also looking to God to refuse what we don't need. When, I don't know if you know this, but when we pray, give us today our daily bread, we are actually asking God, give me what I need, but in the very same breath, we are also saying, God, deny me what I don't. Deny me what I don't need. I, I don't know if you noticed, but if you look at verse 11 again, at uh, just the words, give us today our daily bread. Do you notice the frequency in which we're asking for this bread? Do you notice this? Give us today our daily bread. You notice this? Today. Give me enough for now. We're not saying, God, give me my bread for tomorrow and give me my bread for next month. God, give me my yearly bread. God, give me my, my annual bread. That's not what we're asking for. God, give me enough Give me enough today. I'm praying that you give me what I need, but no more than that. No, so I'm asking for two things. God, I'm praying, I'm looking to you to provide what I need, and I'm also asking you and looking to you to deny me what I actually don't need. So, so what we're praying here is we're not saying, God, make me filthy, stinking, dirty rich. That's what I ask for, God. Just give me tons of stuff, God. That's not what we're saying. We're saying, God, no, just give me enough. Give me my daily bread. Now, for some of us, as 21st century Americans, we hear that and we think to ourselves, does that prayer even apply to us? Because quite honestly, I don't think any of us find ourselves in a deficit of bread, right? I don't think any of us are wondering where our next meal is gonna come from. For most of us, the problem that we're dealing with right now is we're trying to figure out how to eat less, right? We're not trying to figure out how to, how to get our next meal. And so for some of us, we say, does that prayer apply to us? Or is that prayer just for like people in other countries who don't know where their next meal is coming from? See, but you gotta understand that when we pray this, we're not just praying that God would give us what we need, we're also praying that God would deny us what we don't. Like I said before, Jesus is teaching to a Jewish audience, a Jewish audience that was very familiar with the Old Testament. And it is almost guaranteed that when Jesus said, teach us to pray, uh, give us today our daily bread, that the, that the Jewish mind would have also thought of Proverbs chapter 30. In Proverbs chapter 30, they, there's something called the sayings of Agar, and I want you to notice something that this dude, Agar, says. This is, this is amazing, what he prays. Check this out, Proverbs 30. Agar says this, Two things I ask of you, Lord. Don't refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies from me. Now watch this. Watch what he says. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Just give me my daily bread. Don't give me poverty. Don't give me riches. Just give me enough. Give me my bread for today. Otherwise, I might have too much and I might disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I might become poor and steal, so dishonor the name of my God. You see what Agar prays? Man, this is a foreign prayer for many of us. He comes to God, he says, God, I pray you give me my daily bread. I ask you that I wouldn't be poor, which I think a lot of us are like, yeah, I like that. I've prayed that prayer. But then he goes on and he prays something I think that's so foreign to many of us. And I know it's foreign for me too, as he says, God, I pray you wouldn't give me too much either. I ask you that you give me what I need, but I'm also praying you deny me what I don't. And do you notice the goal of this prayer? I want you just to think about the goal of this prayer. Notice two words he says here. He says, if I have too much, I might disown you. But if I have too much stuff, I might forget about you. If I have too much stuff, I might, to think, I might start thinking, I don't need you anymore. But then he says, but if I don't have enough, I might be tempted to go steal and dishonor you, and I don't want to do that either. And so you notice what the goal is? He says, the goal is I don't want to disown you, and the goal is I don't want to dishonor you. Here's the goal. I want to depend on you. I want to live in a constant state 
of awareness of the reality that every moment I need you. That's what I want. And so I'm asking you, you give me just enough that I, that I would have what I need, but don't give me too much that I, that I somehow become under this impression that I don't need you anymore. So keep me dependent is what I'm praying, is what I'm asking. Man, do we have the guts to pray this? God, just give me enough that I need. I want to be dependent on you. In other words, what Agar is saying, he's just saying, God, there's a sweet spot. There's a sweet spot of dependency, and I want you to help me to get there. Help me to live in that sweet spot. I was thinking about this, this, this prayer this past week, and I couldn't help but think of my oldest son. So I have, my, my wife and I have three kids, and our oldest son is seven right now. Uh, but when he was first learning to swim, he was four years old. It was right before he turned five. And I remember I wanted to teach him how to swim. And so uh, my boys love the water. And so a couple summers ago, he, like I said, when he was four, I was like, I'm going to teach you how to swim. And at first, he was terrified. He was terrified. And I was like, buddy, I want you to take your, your life jacket off. I said, I want you to come out in the water with me, and I'm going to teach you how to swim. And he's like, no, Dad, I'm, 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 I'm scared. He's like, I don't, you know, I, I can't, you know, I'm going to drown if I go out there. And I was like, I was like it's okay, buddy. I'm going to be with you. He's like, so I'm not going to let you drown. Promise you I'm not going to let you drown. And he's like, he's like, all right. So we get out there, and I'm holding his little body. He's kind of like horizontal, and I'm holding his little body. And he was so scared. He's just like clinging on to me. And I'm like, it's okay, buddy. He's like, Dad, I, I'm scared. I was like, I got you, buddy. And he's like, don't let me drown. I'm like, I won't. He's like, don't let me, you know, don't let me go under. I'm like, I won't. He's like, don't let me die. I'm like, where are you getting these ideas? You know, I'm not going to do that. And so I'm like, okay, you're fine. And so I was holding him, and, and he's real scared. And I said, okay, buddy. I said, you're going to teach I said, we're going to learn how to swim. So I want you to paddle your arms like this. So he's like, oh, don't let me, don't let me drop. I'm like, I won't. And he starts paddling his arms reluctantly, but he starts doing it. I'm like, okay, buddy. So I want you to start kicking your feet. He's like, okay, don't, but don't drop me. I'm like, I won't. He's like, don't let me drown. I'm like, I'm not, you know? And so I'm holding on to him. He's just freaking out, but he's starting to do it. And after a while, you know, this whole time, he's like, don't drop me. I'm like, I'm not going to drop you. Don't let me drop. I'm not going to let you drop. I just keep reaffirming him. I got you. I got you. I got you. And after a while, he started to get kind of confident about it. He started to get pretty good. He's like, Dad, he goes, he goes, I'm starting to get this. I said, you are. I said, you are starting. He's like, I'm learning to swim. I said, you are learning to swim. And then at one point, he goes, Dad, I don't need you anymore. Just let me go. And I was like, no, buddy. He's like, you need me. Trust me. If I, if I let you sink, you're going to drown right now. He's like, no, Dad, I got it. I got it. Just let me go. I was like, no, I'm not going to let you go. You need me. He's like, just let me go. So I was like, okay. And I let him go. And he sunk down. And immediately, I pulled him right back up over the water. And he goes, yeah, I need you. And I was like, yeah, right, you know, and, and listen, I think this is what we're asking God when we pray this. We're saying, God, God, give me enough. Keep me afloat. God, give me what I need. To, don't let me sink, but, but God, please, don't give me too much. If I can't handle it, don't give me too much where I start thinking that I don't need you anymore, where I start to have a distorted picture of reality, where I start to think that I can do this on my own. Keep me, because here's what happens, you guys. Sometimes when we start amassing wealth, when we start getting stuff, when we start, when we start um, accruing avarice, what can happen is we can start to take credit. We can start to look around and say, I'm the one who did this. It's because of my skill, it's because of my success, it's because of my talents, because I'm so good that I have all that I have. And you know what Deuteronomy chapter eight says? God warns his people about this. He says, the reason I gave you manna in the wilderness is so that when you go in the promised land and you experience success and you experience, you know, um, you experience wealth, that you don't forget the Lord. Because that's what happens, is once we start getting stuff, we start to think, well, I don't need God anymore. I got it all figured out. I have enough, I got enough money, I don't need God. 
I have enough success. I don't need God. I'm so good. I don't need God. And we start to have a distorted view of reality because here's reality. We are all moment by moment so utterly dependent on God. That is, that is the reality of the way that God has put us in this. Every breath that you have is on loan from God. Every beat of your heart is a gift that God allows you to have. Your ability to think, to process, your creativity, your intellect, those things that you have, did you have anything to do with that? That the family that you were born into, in the time in which you were born in, in the country which you were born in, with the opportunities, are, did you have any say in that whatsoever? We are so dependent. I, I say this all the time. I'm half a teaspoon of chemicals away in my brain from being clinically insane. You think I have anything to do with that? I have nothing. I'm so, we are so dependent on God. And so what, what are we praying when we say, Father, Give us our daily bread. Here's what we're saying. We're looking to you. We're depending on you as the one who provides our, we are depending on you as the one who provides our needs. But we're also asking you in the very same breath, keep us from giving us too much that we might forget you, that we might disown you, that we might fail to recognize the reality that we live in dependence on you. So that's what we're praying. And that brings me to the third thing. And the third thing, the third part of this statement, I think for some of us, quite honestly, might be the most challenging of them all. And that's this. We're looking to God to provide what we need, to refuse what we don't. And the last thing is we are looking to God to determine the difference between those two things. We are looking to God to say, God, give me what I need, deny me what I don't, and God, I trust you to make that judgment call. I'm trusting you to determine what I need and what I don't need. See, because here's the thing. I have ideas of what I think I need. I have, I have ideas of what I think is best for me. But when I pray give us today our daily bread, I am actually looking at God and saying, God, I'm trusting you to make the call. I'm trusting you to know what I need even above what I think I might need. I'm asking you to determine the difference between what I need and what it is that I don't need. I want you to notice if you look back at verse 11 with me again just for a moment, there's a couple of key words there that we could just skim right past, but I think they're really significant when he says this. He says, give us today our daily bread. And again, those two words, us and our, might seem like they're, you know, might seem like there's not much there. You can just read right past it. But those words are really significant. And the reason is, if you were here a couple weeks ago, you might remember we said that when we pray our Father, that that is a really important statement because we're not just saying something about God in praying that. We're also saying something about ourselves. By saying our Father, we are necessarily insinuating that we are his children, that's what we're saying. He's our father, so that means that we're, we're, his, we're, we're his children. And so that means when we say, give us our bread, we are locating ourselves as children. We're saying, we are your children and you are our father. And so give us our bread, our father in heaven. Now, why is that significant? Because it's important for us to understand that if you want to understand the nature of prayer, it always comes in understanding the relationship of a father and a child. That's how it works. So in other words, when we pray this, we're not saying, um, our assistant who art in heaven, um, hallowed be your name. Here's the 10 things I need today by noon. This, 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 and this, and this, and I expect them to be done. That's not how this thing works. We're praying our father. And because we're saying we are children and you're our father, that necessarily means that we're putting ourselves in a place of submission. We're putting ourselves in a place where we're recognizing that God is eternally wiser. He is infinitely smarter. He sees things from a completely different vantage point that we do. And so we are saying we trust you. 
You're our, you're our father, and we trust you. Now, why is this so important? Well, the reason this is so important is because I think for so many people in our culture today, and maybe for so many of us, the way that we tend to understand prayer is a lot more like a genie in a bottle. And so we think, man, if I can just manipulate God the right way and I can say the right things, then I can make God kind of do what I want him to do. So I'm gonna tell him what I need, and then if he gives me what I asked for, like if I ask God for something and he gives it to me, then prayer worked. But if I ask God for something and he doesn't give it to me, then it didn't work. And Jesus says that's a, that's a terrible understanding of prayer because prayer isn't like a genie in a bottle. It's like a father and a child. That's how you're to understand how prayer really works, right? And, and you know, just, just thinking about that, man, I was thinking about this past week. Why is that so important? It's important because, as you guys know, children oftentimes think they know what they need. Children times often think they know what's best, but they're wrong most of the time. My six-year-old, I, I, uh, right now, my, I told you I have three kids. My, the middle, he's six. The middle, the middle child, six years old. And just this past week, I was thinking about stuff that he asked me for. And, and one of the things that he was asking me this past week is he said, Dad, he said, wouldn't it be cool if our living room was a swimming pool? And I, I said to him, I was like, yeah, that'd be cool. But in my mind, I thought, that would be terrible. That would be terrible if that was actually the case. That would be a terrible thing, right? If my son got everything he asked, it would be terrible if we had that, right? If my, if my living room was a swimming pool, none of the outlets would work, right? It would be terribly expensive to upkeep the thing. It would smell like chlorine in the house. It'd probably be like a cesspool of bacteria in there. Plus, we have a one-year-old, so it's like a massive safety. I'm like, that would be terrible, but in his thinking, he's like, wouldn't that be cool? And I'm like, yeah, that'd be cool. And I'm thinking, that'd be terrible, you know? Or the other week, he said to me, my six-year-old said to me, he goes, hey, Dad, he goes, I want to have a pet alligator that sleeps in my room. Wouldn't that be cool? I was like, yeah, that'd be cool. But in my mind, I thought, that would be the end of you. Like, that would be your death. You think that'd be cool, but like, in your imagination, but it would not be cool. That is, that is not something you need. That is something that would hurt you, not something that would help you. Listen, I am convinced that if every five-year-old for the next five minutes, just for the next five minutes, if we said every five-year-old gets whatever they want, no holds bar, genie in a bottle, right? Whatever they want. I am convinced that that would literally be the end of the world, right? But can you imagine one kid's just like, I wish the world was made of chocolate and it would happen and then the whole ecosystem would be finished and we would be on our way to a very delicious apocalypse. But that would be the case, right? If that happened, we would all be dead, and here's the thing, all right? If you're 15 years old right now, or if you can remember when you were 15, chances are good when you think back to when you were five. So if you're 15 and you're thinking back to when you were five, you probably think this. You probably think, man, I was so childish when I was five. I was so childish. I did the stupidest things. I thought I knew what I needed. I thought I knew what life was all about. I had no idea when I was five. I was so childish. But now I know. And here's the thing. If you're, if you're 25... Or if you remember when you're 25, you look back at your 50, when you were 15, and what do you think? Here's what you think. You think, I was such an idiot when I was 15. I thought I knew what I needed. I thought I knew it was good for me. I thought I knew it was best. I had no idea. I thought I knew how life worked. I didn't have the first clue. But now I know. See, but then you get to be 35. That's about where I'm at right now. And you know what I think about myself when I was 25? Here's what I think. I was such an idiot when I was 25. I thought I knew. I thought I knew it was best for me. I thought I had life figured out. I have no idea. And listen, if you're 45 or 55 or 65 right now, you know what you're doing? You're looking at me and you're saying, you're an idiot. <laughs> you don't know what you're doing. You think you know what's going on. You think you have life figured out. You have no idea. When you get to be 45, 55, 65, then you know. But you know what the Bible teaches us? Listen, with all the grace in my heart, hear me. Here's what the Bible says. We're all idiots. Every single one of us. We're all idiots. None of us really know what we need. None of us really know what's best for us. We don't know that. And so when we come to God and we say, you're our father, 
We're your children. We are locating ourselves as children. And we're saying, God, I don't even know what's best for me. God, I think I know what I need. I think I know what I want, but I don't always know. And so I'm actually relying on you to be the one who determines that. You're my father, and you love me, and you, you see things I don't see, you understand things I don't understand, and I, I trust you, I trust you to make that judgment call in my life. And so I'm asking you for what I need, I'm asking you to deny me what I don't, but I'm praying, God, that you would just, I trust you that you would determine the difference between those two things. And here's the thing I know about our Father in heaven. The Bible tells us that God will always answer us according to our needs, always. God will always answer you according to your needs. Now, let me just say something that, that's real important here. Not according to your wants. Sometimes God will give you what you want because he's a good father. He loves to give his, his kids good stuff. But listen, he will always answer you according to your needs, but not always according to your wants. If you're a parent, my guess is you can relate to this. I know for me as a parent, my wife and I, we oftentimes answer our kids according to their needs, not according to their wants. So for example... Uh, if my son came to me, let's just say it was before bedtime, and he said to me, Dad, can I have some Skittles? That's what he said. You know what my answer would be? You guys are parents? I would say, no, you can't have any Skittles. And he'd be like, oh, why? And I would say, well, there's a whole lot of stuff I'm thinking about right now that you don't understand. And so I know if you have Skittles right now before bed, it's going to give you too much sugar. You're going to be crazy. You're not going to be able to sleep. That's going to affect your sleep. You're going to be crabby tomorrow. That's going to make your mom upset. And then if your mom's upset, I'm not happy. And so I want to be happy, so I don't want you to have Skittles, right? And that's kind of, but I, I'm like, I, don't, I want you to be healthy. This is not a healthy thing for you. To, it's not that I don't want you to have candy ever. I just don't want you to have candy right now. But here's what my wife and I will oftentimes say. We'll say, no, you can't have any Skittles, but would you like a healthy snack? You hear what we just did right there? We're, we're, answering, we're answering our children according to their needs. So he says Skittles, and I hear hungry. And I say, I'm your dad, and I love you. I care about you. And I, I, don't want you to, I don't want you to go hungry, so would you like a healthy snack? I'm gonna answer you according to your needs. And if he says, nah, I don't want any carrots, then I'm like, well, you're actually not hungry anyway. You just wanted the Skittles. But if he's like, yeah, I'll have carrots, I'm like, well, good. I'm gonna provide for the need that you have. Listen, our Father in heaven will always answer us according to our needs, not always according to our wants. And so there are times that we'll come to him and we'll say, God, this scenario that I'm in right now is so hard. It feels like it's too much that I can bear right now. And God, I pray you would take it away. Would you take this situation away from me? And our Heavenly Father looks and says, oh, you're my child and I love you and I hate to see you suffer. But you have to understand that I know what you need more than you know what you need. And there's some stuff that you need right now and there is no other way to get it than you have to go through this. And so there's, you need patience. You, you need character. You need perseverance, and the only way you can get that is by going through this, and I love you, and I care, so I'm gonna answer you according to your needs. I know what you want, but I'm gonna answer you according to your needs. Some of you right now have been without employment for a long time, and things aren't working out the way you thought they were, and you're like, man, why isn't it coming together? I've been putting in my applications, I've been getting job interviews, and it doesn't seem like anything. God, why are you putting me to this situation? And our Heavenly Father would look and say, oh, you're my child, and I love you. And you see, I know what you want, but I'm gonna answer you according to your needs because right now, I need to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word of God. That's what you need, that's what you need, and I'm your father. Now, that doesn't mean that God's not gonna give us what we want sometimes. God's a good dad. He'll give us what we want sometimes, but not all the time. It's not a genie in a bottle. It's a father and a child. And so God says, when you come to me, you can pray this. Pray, give us today our daily bread. 
And by doing that, what are we saying? Here's what we're saying. We're saying, God, I'm looking to you to be the one that provides what I need. I'm looking to you to deny me what I don't need. And then I'm trusting you to determine the difference. And so whatever God gives me today, whether it be hardship or pain or joy or whatever he's giving you today, you can look at him and you can say, yes, Father, you're my Father. And I believe you're gonna give me exactly what I need today, my daily bread you're gonna provide for me. Let's pray. Well, God, I just wanna say thank you that you've given us the freedom to pray this prayer, to pray, give us today our daily bread. And God, you're not just, you're not just some aloof, lofty, distant God who has nothing to do with human affairs. That you are so intimately involved in our lives. Um, the God that you want to meet every single need that we have. Needs we, we know we have and needs we don't know we have. And so, Father, we just want to come to you. And for those of us who follow you this morning, we just want to declare that we trust you. Man, we trust you more than we trust ourselves. And uh, sometimes we struggle with that. Sometimes we think we know better than you know. But the, the reality is we just don't. You're our Father in heaven. And you see things and understand things. And you, um, you have a perspective that we just cannot have. And so because of that, Father, I pray that you would help us just to trust that you're going to give us this day what we need. And, and Father, we also want to pray, as hard as it might be for some of us, we want to pray, God, that you would not give us what we don't need. Deny us what we don't. But if we can't handle success or wealth, or the, just don't give it to us. Don't give it to us. Just give us what we can handle. And God, we don't want to disown you. We don't want to dishonor you. We want to live in a perpetual state of dependence on you. And for the person that's in this room that might be searching, might be investigating you, not sure what they believe, God, I pray that even today through this message and through your word and by the power of your spirit, Lord, that you would show yourself to be trustworthy. You're a loving God. And, uh, and Father, uh, in you is life and in you is peace and in you is rest. And Lord, I know that for many, we are weighed down by anxiety and worry about the needs, the temporal needs that we have in this life and we're chasing after those things. And God, that is not the way you want us to live. We can rest in you. We can rest in your word. We can rest in, in seeking you and trusting you to provide for us. And so I pray that if there's anyone that's here today that's investigating you, that they would um, embrace you, find you faithful because you are. And so God, we look to you and uh, we, we, we realize that you're the source of provision. And I pray that you would help us to carry this in our hearts this week. Remind us of that, God, no matter what we're facing. And we just want to pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.